0: Hear the word of God from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapters 15 and 16. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bibles. And this is going to take a little while. (laughs) Romans 15 and 16. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scripture give, scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promise he made he so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. This is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place Isaiah said, The heir to David's throne will come, and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach each other about them. Even so, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. For by God's grace, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me and in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illusirum. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I have been following the plan spoken of in scriptures where it says those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact my visit to you has been delayed so long because I have been preaching in these places. But now I have finished my work in these regions and after all these long years of waiting I am eager to visit you. I am planning to go to Spain and when I do I will stop off in Rome and after I have enjoyed your fellowship for a little while you can provide for my journey. But before I come, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles receive the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. As soon as I have delivered this money and completed the good deeds of theirs, I will come to you and see you on my way to Spain. And I'm sure that when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me, given to you by the Holy Spirit. Pray that I will be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the believers there will be willing to accept the donation I am taking to Jerusalem. Then, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you with a joyful heart, and we will be, we will be in an encouragement to each other. And now may God, who gives us peace, be with you all. Amen. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Centuria, Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honoring among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, because she has been helpful to many, and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend, Eponidas. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, a good man whom Christ approves, and give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew, and greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Give my greetings to Tryphania and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Give my greetings to Asencritus, Gligon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and to Olympus and all the believers who meet with them. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith, by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord, they are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord, and this makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right, and stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings, as do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, and my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, send my greetings too as one of the Lord's followers. Gaius says hello to you. He is my host and also serves as host to the whole church. Erastus, the city treasurer, sends you his greetings, and so does our brother Quartus. Now all glory to God, who is able to make you strong, just as my good news says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now, as the prophets foretold, and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere, so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, forever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, wow, thank you Nathan. That was a long passage. That might be the longest passage ever read in church history. So <laughs> <laughs> Point sermon bingo right. Um, I know that. I think for Pastor Lawrence, every time he says "doggy dog world," or he says uh, something about he's a science fiction nerd and he loves fantasy stories, you check the box. Or Pastor Josh talks about Subarus. Um, <laughs> Eric has new ones. I'm not sure what Eric's. Uh, I know the youth have already. They have their own bingo game for Eric and some of the stuff he brings up. Uh, or I'll talk about college football. But you're getting a handout and a pen. And there's a reason why I'm giving you this. We're not playing bingo. Um, but we are. I'm giving you this handout. And this is the entire scripture we just read. And I believe that this 15 and 16 were meant to be read all together. That's why we read it. I believe when when the church in Rome got this letter, they heard the whole thing all at once. They probably heard the whole, at least chapters 12 through 16 would have been read all together. And when the the, the letter circulated throughout the uh, Christian world, each church would have heard the whole letter, or at least large sections of the letter. So part of this this morning was discipline in that. On your handout, I I, I give you a pen, and it's even cardstock. I'm giving that to you because I want you to underline. I want you to take notes. I work with international students. Some of them know the Bible well. Some of them have never seen the Bible before. But I normally print it out. I normally use New Living Translation because it, it translates the uh, Greek and he- Hebrew idioms into modern English. And I ask people to take notes, underline, say, what God, what are you saying to me through this passage? So that's my challenge to you this morning, is to take notes on the thing, underline anything, that, and, and just begin this process. It's, it's just a different way to study the Bible. Uh, some people don't like to write in their own Bibles. Some people have a Bible that's so written in that you can't tell. So there's, there's different personalities, but you can write on this piece of paper. I also use a blue pen, because it's easier to see against the black uh, writing. So I'm giving you a little insight into how I teach the Bible when I meet with others. If any of you have ever met with me one-on-one, I might've handed you a printout of a passage um, before we meet. So thanks for passing out those handouts. And to start the sermon, I'm gonna pray, just because this is a lot of material, and I want God, the Spirit, to speak through you as, as we process all this material. God, may your spirit speak through me. May everything and your word speak to us this morning. God, we know you're with us and we're here to worship you and looking at what Paul wrote to the church in Rome and how he ended this important letter that he wrote 1,900 years ago. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to think about long-established traditions and institutions. So how many of you went to UNC Chapel Hill? You know what year it was founded? Anyone? 1792. James is close. He said 1790. Um, okay. How about NC State? Any Wolfpack? All right. You know what year it was founded? No idea. App State. What year? Is 1899. So it just made that century, right? Uh, NC State was 1887, and now. You know that UNC used to be called North Carolina University until 1973. But I'm gonna put a really fascinating slide up here. What's the oldest public school in America? There's a debate. Three schools claim it. University of Georgia was chartered before UNC, but their classes didn't start till after UNC. This is actually a page online about the debate. So Georgia says they're the oldest because they were chartered first. UNC says they're the oldest because they had classes first. But the College of William and Mary says they're the oldest because they've been around since like 1683. They just weren't a public institution until later after the Civil War. So there is a debate in case you guys didn't know because everybody wants to be part of a long established tradition, right? No one wants a new, no one wants to say, yeah, our school is awesome, it's it's a year old. What if I told you I was part of a secret order of knights that was 1600 years old or a secret order of ninjas that was 2,000 years old. You know, what if I said I'm part of a secret order of ninjas that's three weeks old, and I started it? You guys, that, that's not as cool, right? That's you want. To, we want to be part of this long-standing tradition, and I think as Americans sometimes we just think about last week or what we've done, and we don't even think about our family line and what it took for our family to get us here. Interesting, it's Memorial Day, like even the, the battles that were fought and the, the victories that were won and the people who died just so that we could be sitting here this morning. But I, I think sometimes we just focus on the present and then sometimes we wanna be part of this long-standing tradition. Uh, do you know the, I, I went to Auburn, so you can check that off in the bingo box, college football. Uh, The oldest college football rivalry in the deep South is Auburn and Georgia, because I think Virginia and someone else has one and they're the South. So we had to narrow it down to the deep South. So Auburn and Georgia is the oldest college football rivalry in the deep South. So you have to get more specific and then you can get it right. Uh, We all want to know we're part of something firm, established, honorable and true. Even when we start something new, it's based on tradition, experience and established rules, charter schools and online education, are basically new institutions. They're around less than 20 years old, but they're based on established schools, you know, established models. They're, they just add new elements and methods. Um, they're not completely new establishments, but at their core, they're really close to the original. Uh, Waypoint is less than five years old, but we are part of something that God started in the Garden of Eden, and we are part of a new kingdom that Jesus ushered in 2,000 years ago. And we are united with brothers and sisters all over the world in worshiping and building that kingdom. We're a local church here in Durham, Chapel Hill. You actually know that we're in the city of Durham, but we have a Chapel Hill zip code because we're on a Chapel Hill poster postal route. So I like to call it Durham Hill. So here in Durham Hill, uh, we we're made up of around 200 people who call themselves followers of Jesus. With a mission to love God and love others, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbors locally and people from every language, tribe and tongue around the world. So for this morning, I want to think of I want to answer three questions about us as Waypoint Church, a local church here in Durham Hill. Maybe I can get credit for coining that phrase Uh, with a big heart for the triangle and a big heart for the world. So these are the three questions we're going to answer. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And what do we do now? Isn't these the three great questions of life anyway? So where did Waypoint come from? I know five years ago, Pastor Lawrence gathered a group of people to meet and pray about starting a new church in the Triangle. But that's not where we came from. That view is too limited. That'd be like answering, where did the iPhone come from? If someone said, where did the iPhone come from? And you're like, it came from a factory in China and I bought it at Best Buy, <laughs> right? But really, the iPhone is a result of over 70 years of research and development. Back in 1949, when German engineer Werner Jacobi filed a patent for what became the microchip. And then in the 70s, when guys like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were making computers in their garage. Or in 1982, when IBM began selling the Simon Personal Communicator, which is technically the first smartphone. Or in 2007, when Apple begins selling what we know as the iPhone. You get my point. Yes, Waypoint is four and a half years old, but we are part of something much bigger. We are part of God's redemptive plan for the world. So I'm going to put a slide up and I'm going to move because I did this before. So I want you to think about this. So this is like all eternity. So God is like as far back that way. That's all eternity. And here's the garden. And God creates this garden and, and it's beautiful. And it's for us to worship him and enjoy him and enjoy each other and we sin, and we fall, and we rebel against God, and it brings death. But God makes a covenant promise that, he's, that we won't get death, that there will be a way for us to be restored. And then Adam and Eve get that promise. And then there's Noah, and God makes another promise with humanity. And then there's Abraham and Sarah, and God makes a specific covenant that I'm gonna call a people, and I'm gonna save those people, and I'm gonna bring, make them in a great nation, and their descendant will save the world. And then there's Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, who, you know, his name is changed to Israel because he wrestles with God. You ever wrestled with God? I think that's a great name because we all struggle. We all say, God, why is this happening? And then God makes a covenant with Jacob and then he makes a covenant with Moses and the people and he says, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you this rest, this place. And then David is one of the kings that God makes a covenant with. And he says, I will maintain the kingship of David forever. And then there's Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Esther, those who came after. And I put Esther on there because we're going to start studying Esther next week. Um, but Isaiah and Ezekiel make these promises. Ezekiel about a new covenant, and Isaiah about this, this suffering servant Messiah that's coming. And then just And he comes and proclaims. And then Jesus. Notice in caps, that's when God, it's God. Except for the first God isn't, but you, you get my point. So God, Jesus comes. And then Jesus gives us a spirit, and he ascends. And then the early church. And then this church in Rome. And then there's all this history. And then there's Waypoint Church, right here. And then there's going to be more history. And then Jesus is going to come back. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and there's going to be all that history. So we're like right here. I'm not going to preach from right here. I'm going to preach from there, (laughs) from my notes. But this is where we are. So I want you to make that visual. Some people are visual learners. I am. Just think about this long chain. Waypoint is, is a point in history. We didn't start four and a half years ago. We didn't even start as part of the summit network or in America, the American Church, the English-speaking church. We started way back there when God made a covenant promise after Adam and Eve rebelled against him. And he made a specific covenant with Abraham and with Jacob and with Moses and with David and, and proclaimed through Ezekiel and Isaiah and the prophets that Jesus would come. We're part of that. So that's how we got here. And I love history, and if you If you want, you can have lunch with me and I'll talk about the in-between, because I'm a church, I'm a history buff and a church history buff, so I'd love to eat lunch with you and and answer your questions about what happened in-between from the early church to Waypoint. Uh, But I just wanted you to get that timeline in your head. Okay, why are we here? We can put that, keep that up as you're thinking about this. As a congregation of Waypoint, we spent four months studying the Gospel of John, Four months. And in that, I hope you begin to see why are we here. What was Jesus' mission? Why did Jesus come? To establish a church, empower them by the Holy Spirit, to go out and be His people. To restore what we had in the garden. To to fulfill the promise God, the covenant God made with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob and Moses and was promised by the prophets. The new covenant that Ezekiel promises us. Um, Jesus came and he returned to the Father, and he opened a way for new life for his people. That way of life is the church that Jesus establishes, and he gives us the Holy Spirit, and he empowers us, and he says, go and build my kingdom. Not a kingdom built with with weapons of war, but a kingdom built with love and changing hearts. That's what we're a part of. That's why we're here. In the great discourse of John 13 to 17, it's an exhortation for the disciples, those you know, common fishermen and common people that Jesus called these men and women who were at the lowest end of the scale and probably one of the poorest regions in the area. He calls them and he says, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you stay connected with me, you're going to produce a lot of fruit. And they did. They did. How, how did such simple common people change the world? And the only message they had was we serve a guy who died and rose again. It had to be true. And they went out and they changed the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it's better that I leave so that the Spirit will come. And then you can really live out this new way of life. So we are here because God had a plan to redeem his people. And he made a covenant with his people. And Jesus came to fulfill that covenant. Jesus comes. He lives. He dies. He rises again at Easter and then he ascends to the father after 40 days. Actually, we're in that period. If you notice at Easter we put the white cloth up and it's still up. It's not even 40 days since Easter. We're going to keep that cloth up. Ascension Day is um, is May 30th. That's 40 days from Easter. So we'll actually take that down this week and then we'll keep the flags up cuz Pentecost Sunday is June 9th and then we'll just to remind us of this timeline of how long Jesus was on earth after he resurrected, teaching and and showing people that he was, that his resurrection was true, and, and that God's plan wasn't to conquer the Roman army through military might, but it was to change hearts. And even these simple fishermen, women, common, just common people at the lowest end of society, some of them were called sinful, broken people by their society, the least people that would start a movement to, that would be called to be God's people, people who didn't have it all together, God calls them and puts them on this mission, and we're here because of this. We're here because Jesus is risen. He's our king. He's called people to live out this new way of living, which leads me to the final question. What do we do now? So Romans 15 and 16. Paul writes a letter to the church in Rome sometime after 55 or 56 A.D. So Claudius, the emperor, actually in in 49 A.D. expels all Jews from Rome. Um, he, so Christians would consider it a Jewish sect, so they were also expelled. And there was probably a small church that was meeting, and they got expelled. If, and if you look in Acts, Priscilla and Aquila are actually part of that Roman church. They get expelled, and they actually meet Paul in Corinth and in Ephesus and work with him, and we'll, we'll look at them a little later. But um, So somewhere around 49 AD, they were expelled, and Claudius dies in 54 AD. So around 55 or 56 AD, they begin to move back, and they're the church they establish these churches which seemed to meet in a few different homes if you if you follow the letter we just read i mean the section we just read so there was probably around 100 to 150 christians meeting in rome in a city of about a million let's look at this have any of you ever seen the movie gladiator they re, they did a, this is before computer technology was really good this movie is about 20 15 years old but they recreate what ancient rome would have been like like this grand city with all the power And here's Paul with the audacity to tell these 150 people, you have something that's greater than that. So that's the context. Um, Paul did not start this church. He did know many of the members. You know, he's name dropping at the end of the letter. You notice how many people he name drops. Uh, And he probably met them when he lived in Ephesus and Corinth, like Priscilla and Aquila, because Ephesus and Corinth were key Roman cities. So when they got expelled from Rome, they probably went and did their trade or their started their lives over in those two cities where Paul actually had established churches. So even in the midst of people getting expelled out of a city, a great tragedy, God still used it to build his kingdom. And I believe the church in Rome was probably stronger because of this, because they got to engage with what Paul was doing in Ephesus and Corinth and these other cities. So why study Romans 15 and 16? Uh, Romans is a letter that Paul writes. To encourage a local church, he did not start. He never visited this church. In the beginning, in the letter, at the end of the letter, it comes across like a missionary support letter. Any of you ever wrote one of those? Maybe when you were in youth group, you're like telling everybody what you're going to do, how great it's going to be, how you're going to change lives, and you're going to be changed, and you need money, right? And then at the end, you write a thank you note and you do some name dropping. Maybe that's what Paul. If you look at Romans one, like one through fourteen, and then the end of Romans kind of what Paul's doing. He's the greatest probably theological explanation of the gospel we have is sandwiched in between a a support letter uh, that Paul writes to Rome. And I I can't go into all the details of how Rome, how the book of Romans is written, but it is a letter to the church. Um, And he's encouraging them. And he says, how do you be a local church? Um, And he's saying that God's plan for human history he tells us in between this support letter section. And I, always, I challenge all of you to know Romans well. You can really see the gospel. If, if you have a hard time reading a whole book of the Bible, start with New Living Translation. Try to read large chunks of it, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, I believe that the Roman church this letter was lit, written to was a lot like Waypoint. About four years old, a mix of people from different backgrounds and cultures, trying to grow together, people who moved here from different places. I mean, it was almost strikingly similar to who we are right now. Uh, A local church with people with zeal to share the good news locally and in other places, and people who were connected to what God was doing in other places. So you see the similarities? Starting to see how, why I wanted this, uh, I prayed. So we're doing a little mini series in case you missed it. We finished John, we're starting Esther next week, and last week and this week, we're just saying, what is the local church? Because some people are like, well, we're here. Is the local church just the building and casseroles and and dinners? Or is the local church just outreach or VBS or all the, you know, just what is the local church? And I would say Paul gives us really good hints of what the local church is at the beginning and the end of Romans. Um, So waypoint is strikingly similar. Even the amount of people we have would be about similar to the the churches that we're meeting in Rome in these different houses. And it shows us that we need to grow. So I want you to think about this. Oftentimes in missions, people say there's three things you can do. You can pray, you can give, and you can go. But I want to add a fourth one, grow. Interesting thing is I thought about this about a year ago, and then a blog post from a a Scottish pastor in a small church, he wrote this same thing like last week. Erica stumbled upon it. And I was like, wow, definitely I think God wants me to do this because I, how would i even find this guy's blog I mean, his church has like 100 people small church in scotland and he said i think we need to pray give go and grow and that's paul's model and he even uses romans 15 as as his example too i was like wow god you really this this is this is cool stuff and what that means is yes we pray for god to move around the world we we give we give sacrificially and we go But we also need to grow as the local body. Because when we establish a new church, we want them to grow. If the local church is growing, the kingdom will expand. I don't think Paul wanted the church in Rome to stay at 100 people forever and then just keep sending people to other places. I think Paul wanted them, he wanted to go to Spain, and he was excited that people wanted to go to other places. At the same time, Paul wanted them to grow. He wanted them to love their neighbors and reach their neighbors so that more and more people in Rome could hear the good news. Actually, even the size of Rome and the size of, like, our, our area is about the same, too. It's strikingly similar. All right, so let's just dive into it. What does it mean to grow? Romans, all I'm going to do is pretend now, now we're in Bible study, so get your notes out, get your pen out. Romans 15, 1. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must, we must not just please ourselves. So he's saying, for the mature believers... You need to pay attention to, and in the original Greek, it said the weak, but he, the New Living's translated in English as sensitive. Be, be careful. Those who are more mature, build up. We should help others do what is right and build them up how? In the ways of our church? No, in the ways of the Lord. So Paul's first instruction of how to grow is the mature people should be consciously building up those who are, who are figuring things out, who are less mature. But that doesn't mean the mature people have arrived, because the mature people also need to be building each other up. So that's kind of Paul's first thing to help you grow. Then keep going in your notes, and uh, your, your handout. Verse 3. For even Christ did not live to please himself. Jesus lived for others. That's our call. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. And this is a quote from Psalm 69. Jesus was the suffering insulted messiah. He suffered, he was insulted, he was ridiculed for us. And I love this second half. It says the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promise to be fulfilled. Paul wanted to remind them that they're not just this Rome church right here. They're not just the last 4 years when they came when they all came back after the persecution. That their promises go back way back here, all the way back here. Paul's reminding them that this was promised in the Scripture and it's, it's coming true in you, in your local church. You're part of something bigger. Jesus, but what's the foundation? The foundation is the Messiah. Uh, I'm going to put a picture up. So this is the back bay of Boston. We lived in Boston for, for four years. The houses here are like, a, one bedroom's like a million bucks. They're like these brownstone you know, townhouses and stuff, all that area, including that tall building are built on pylons that were built in like the 1890s. Like it was a swamp that they just filled in with garbage and stuff. So all that, the, if you were to look underneath, you'd be like, how is this thing even holding up? Like it's built on, you know, 19th century technology holding all that up. Cause they just filled in the bay basically. So the, but the foundation seems to be doing okay. Uh, but you don't see the foundation. All you see is the beautiful buildings. And I think sometimes as the church, we, we say, look at us, look at these beautiful buildings, but we forget that underneath is the foundation of Jesus Christ and what he's been doing. And Paul's reminding them of that, that you're not just a great building that you were able to buy. You're part of this solid foundation of Christ that's holding us up every day as his church. And then in verse five, may God who gives this pay, oh wait, sorry, go back to uh, verse verse four. The scripture gives us hope and encouragement. Anybody need hope and encouragement? I need both of those every day. And, and it tells us that we wait patiently. So God began to fulfill his promises, but they're not fully fulfilled. They weren't fulfilled to the Rome, Roman church, and they're not fulfilled for us for Waypoint today. They're being fulfilled we're a part of that, but we're also, we have hope, we have encouragement, and we're waiting patiently. Verse 5, it says, may God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live, how? In complete harmony with each other. One of the ways that the church grows, the church grew in, the early, in Rome and these other cities, was the Christians were unified. They had different socioeconomic status, different ethnic status, different like personalities, all the things that should divide And they stayed unified because they had hope and they had encouragement and they knew that they were part of something bigger they stayed unified it is interesting that um like i went i'll bring it up again for bingo i went to auburn and cam newton who was our quarterback won the national championship i'll bring that up too Uh, he had some controversy and a lot of all these auburn people were defending him you know Online, some, somebody said, Why does Cam do this or what? And all the Auburn, because he's part of Auburn. He's part of the family. It's interesting how many of my friends who normally wouldn't defend you with that, defend it, came to his defense because he's part of their family. They're part of something. We should be way much more family than a college or a fraternity or something. We, should, we, we have Jesus Christ, we have his foundation. So we can, we, that's. That's one of the ways that other people are going to see us and be encouraged and say, this is the body of Christ. I I want to be a part of that. I want want that. I want to be a part of that because of this harmony that they have together. We keep going and it says, therefore, in verse 7, accept each other as Christ has accepted you. So part of this harmony, this love, remember that Christ came to serve. So there's love. There's love each other. I'm going to to go through this quickly because I want you guys to study this on your own this week. Um, And then he says, then he starts talking about the Gentiles. He's saying that Paul came to tell the Gentiles. Guess who that is? That's us. That's those who were outside of this, of Abraham's original group. Abraham has, God calls him, gives him this. And they were always, Abraham and the people of God were always to be a light to everyone. But they were selfish. They were sinful. And God continually told the prophets, hey, you're to be a light, to bring people into this covenant community. And we rejoice that the, gent- the word went out to those outside of that original community of Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people. And this is us. We're part of that legacy. Uh, in verse 11, it says, and yet praise the Lord, praise him. Then it It goes on. I'm going to jump to 13. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Is this your life? Do you feel this? Is joy and hope? This doesn't mean that things don't go bad. Actually, some of these people had to live outside of Rome for years because of persecution. They probably lost their homes, I'm guessing, some of them. It's not I wonder if you just move away for 14 years, if people took over their houses, or I I don't know what happened during the persecution. But even though they live under constant persecution as Christians, they know that Paul can give them this hope. And my prayer for us is, how do we do this? Do we have this hope? And we know that we have the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's encouraging them in. Um, And then he says, you know these things, and you can teach others about them. So Paul's calling us to teach others. And I love this. This is actually what I titled the sermon. Even so, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that you need this reminder, that all you need is this reminder. Sermon is just a reminder. It's not me speaking. I'm just trying to remind you of what Paul reminded the church in Rome because we're a very similar situation to them. We need this reminder. They needed this reminder. For by God's grace, Paul was the messenger to give them this reminder. And I'm glad he wrote it down because we have it today. In verse 18, Paul talks about humility. He says he didn't that that he's doing this humbly because he knows that it's all because of God. And then he presents the good news in verse uh, 19. And then he says, "My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard." So remember the go, the give, and the pray. I think all three of those are here, but it's mixed into the grow as a church. So if you look at verse 20 to 22, it's the go. Paul wants to go. Uh, he's been delayed coming to Rome because he's been going to other places. And then in verse 23 and 24, he wants to keep going. So that's the go. Sorry, the second page of the print is really small because I wanted to fit it all on one page. And then he says at the end of 24, after I have enjoyed your fellowship for a while... Uh, you can provide for my journey. So he's asking. So all of you who wrote that support letter where you're going on a trip and you want to ask and you're nervous, Paul, Paul asks them for money. And then he talks about this collection for the Church of Jerusalem. That he gives a long thing. And back then, it wasn't like they could Venmo people. So Paul doesn't just Venmo the collection. He doesn't like, all right, everybody, pull out your phone and give your donation and then I'll send it to the Church in Jerusalem. Paul and his companions literally had to carry the money on them for fear of being, ro- you know, like robbed, like put it under their clothes and go from you know a couple maybe like 6 or 700 miles to get the money to them. But he does that and he, and he he wants to give to others. Paul needs money himself, but he's collecting for others in need. So you got to go, you got to keep going, you got to the give. Then if you jump to verse 30, he says, "Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. And then he goes on in verse thirty one pray that I will be rescued. And then he says, Pray also that the believers will be willing to accept the donation. He he's asking them to pray for him. Specific prayer requests. So you see why I think this has a little missionary letter element in it? In the midst of Paul exhorting them, telling them how to grow as a local body, he's also saying, Send me and be you're part of something bigger. Then he then verse sixteen or chapter sixteen. I commend our sister Phoebe. He he starts listing these names. And these are real people who risked everything to follow Jesus. I'm just going to read verse 3 and 4 and 5. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their, their lives for me. I think in the original Greek it says they risked their necks for me. I'm thankful to them. And so are the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. So somehow God was able to restore their business. Aquila was the tent maker that hired Paul. Uh, Actually, God brought them, Priscilla and Aquila, to Corinth and Ephesus by God's sovereignty through, by expelling them to Rome. So God was working in the background. And this couple was part of the major expansion of the gospel to the whole Greco-Roman world. Uh, let's look at uh, this slide. This is a Roman home. This would have been a wealthier couple, maybe like Priscilla and Aquila's home. There's a shop in the front, down at the bottom. That's where they would have done their shop. And then there might have been like a portico type thing. So the church, maybe 70 people, 60 people. So the wealthier people had to have the churches in their homes. The poorer people would have had real small homes. So God used those people. And we don't know if their home was this big, but they would have they would have met in something like this. Um, there probably was a few of them around the city. So, so you see, these are real people. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget that these are real people called by God, ordinary people doing extraordinary things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's us. Some of you may think, I'm just going through life. I'm just watching my kids today. If we can just make it to like bedtime, I'll be okay. Some of you are like, I want to get job- through this job. If I can just make it to Friday at 5.30, then I'll be okay. But God is calling us, even in the ordinary, to, to trust him and to be extraordinary. And that's what it means to be the local church. So Paul goes on and name drops. Notice in the name dropping, only like three of these names have made it, like Priscilla, Jason, and Julia. All the other, you, you know anybody named like uh, Andro or, uh, you know, some of these names just didn't make it. I don't have any friends named Urbanus or Stach- Statius. But Julia, Priscilla, and Jason made it into, I had, I knew a friend, I had all three in my life. So if you're, that's in Pastor Lawrence's bingo. You can, you can look, you can use this list for some other outside the box biblical names. Uh, notice some of them are Greek names, very Greek names. Hermes, like they named him after a Greek God. Obviously his parents weren't Christians. So he became a Christian. Your Christians don't name their kid, their child, a Greek God's name, you know. So, so you see how this church is growing. And it's real people but i want to i want to say this i didn't ask any of these people but i think if, if 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 paul was writing a letter to waypoint he might say greet james shafto a servant at neil middle school loving kids every day greet amelia like helping danny out with ism at duke's campus greet emily and and uh, pat ryan as they uh, love people in their neighborhood greet brie balcom as she is a social worker helping kids cope with trauma. Greet Eddie Triger as he serves God as the assistant principal at, a, at an elementary school. The list could go on and on. Greet Eric and Sarah as they serve the youth here at Waypoint, and they, they serve at Apartment Life in their community. I believe if Paul was writing this letter, it wouldn't be name-dropping to get more money. He would be honest that all of you are doing something for God's kingdom. And then it goes on. There's an appeal he, in verse 17 and 18. He says, watch out for division based on un, untruthfulness. Then he says, you know, the sound doctrine is the gospel that's been passed down to us. He says, Satan will be destroyed. He will be crushed under our feet. And we have grace from God to do, that we know this will happen. Interesting thing in verse 22, I, uh, Tertius, wrote the letter. So Paul delegated. Paul didn't actually, he probably didn't have really great Greek. I mean, he probably had good Greek, but he wasn't a good writer. So someone else wrote the letter for him. Hand wrote it. This was a long letter. Um, Paul delegated. He used other parts of the body. He allowed people to use their gifts to build his kingdom. We're on this adventure together, guys. There is a list of names of us as Waypoint. We are this local church. Um... We're trusting God. We're part of this big picture. Never forget that. Never forget. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. We're part of... We get to send people to all these countries. We get to give to that and pray for them. But we also get to do it here. Three applications, really quick. Take your sheet home and reflect, reflect on it. Go through this passage again this week. Read Romans 12 through 14, the, the other part. Um... Uh, And then if you want to go back and read 1 through 11, kind of setting up, this is the gospel. Romans 1 through 11 is like, this is the gospel. This is all this. This is how you got here. And then 12 through 14 is what you need to do. Um, Then it says, ask God how he wants you to grow individually and as part of the local body of Christ this summer. So set a goal just for this summer. Say, God, what, what, what can I do this summer to be part of the local body of Christ? What are you calling me to do? How can I grow personally and how can I grow, grow this body? And the final thing is ask God with whom you can share the good news with this week, this summer, and this year. Pray for a specific person or people and just keep praying. You may be a shy introvert. So I'm not saying like go knock on their door. I'm just saying pray for them, pray for them, pray for them, and maybe pray, say, God, I'm so shy and I'm so introverted, I'm so scared, that make them start the conversation. And give them all all the words, and all I got to do is be your vessel. Pray that prayer. Try God, try it. See what see what God does as we pray that we can share the good news with somebody. Let's pray. God, I I gave a lot of information. We looked at a very very long passage that you gave Paul to encourage a local people. I know for some people in here it might have been too much information, and I broke the rules of. TED Talks and speaking, God, but I know that your word is powerful and, and you wanted Romans 15 and 16 to be thought through together as a, as a unified way that you're encouraging the church, God. And I pray that our church, Waypoint Church, and those who are visiting us today would be, feel a little more a part of what you're doing. They would know that you started something way back in the garden and you are faithful to your covenant promises with your people. And I pray if there's someone in here who doesn't even know what that means, they don't know what it means to follow Jesus, that they would ask the person who brought them, ask the person next to them, say, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus? What does it mean for me to know this good news? God, I thank you for calling us as a local church. And I pray that we'd be a church that, that prays, that gives and that goes. But God, I pray that we would grow. We would grow as your people and grow as your church. We give you all the praise and glory, God, and we know the power of your Holy Spirit is with us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.